So we're going to watch a video, and then Pastor Marvin will uh, continue our series. Easy now. Thorazine takes a little while to wear off. Sorry about the restraints. Well, am I? <clears throat> MacArthur Psychiatric Hospital. I find that highly unlikely. I made a mistake. My work is non military in application. Which work is that, John? I don't know anything. <laughs> There's no good in keeping secrets, you know. in this Um, when we look at um, a clip like that, uh, we immediately um, think about mental health issues. That's the thing that um, when we think of mental health challenges, we think of scenes like that. We think about padded rooms and straight jackets, and we think about individuals drooling at the mouth, and we think about people seeing things that are not there. And I wonder if this has kept society and even the church from talking about this very important issue of mental health. I mean, we say things like we don't want to be lumped in with all of those crazy people. Now, Mind you, there are individuals who they've gone down to the depths of mental uh, health issues and challenges and like we see on the screen. But I would argue that the vast majority of uh, mental health issues look like people getting up every morning, getting dressed, eating breakfast, driving to work, or riding the bus to work like you and me. People who go to football games and watch their and cheer for their favorite teams, they look just like you and me. People who attend worship services and sing songs and listen to messages and, quite frankly, preach messages like you and me. Men and women who are singled and married, individuals who are stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads and school teachers and attorneys and accountants, middle school and high school students, active and retired military, people who live their lives like you and me. Mental health challenges look like us. People who have jobs and families and people who are athletes and people who are non-athletic have mental health challenges. Pastors who preach on the weekend have mental health challenges. See, the, the interesting thing is there's, um, we talk about mental health and uh, the APA, the American um, Psychological Association, defines it this way. 
uh, mental health is a state of mind characterized by emotional well-being, good behavioral adjustment, relative freedom from uh, re- relative freedom from anxiety and disabling symptoms. We will never be free of um, anxiety. We can reduce it and manage it, obviously. Um, and the capacity to establish constructive relationships and cope with the ordinary demands and stresses of life. Mental health challenges, issues look like you and me. Now, we look at a clip like that and we listen to the APA's definition and we can see where the gap lies. That, that we look at the definition and we say, oh, all mental health challenges look like that. And in reality, they look like you and me. And I think sometimes we perpetuate the misconception about mental health when we fail to see it as a larger issue than just what we saw on the screen. I think sometimes we believe the lies that have been told us, and Dr. Sarah Lung helps us to uh, understand uh, at least five lies that we have a tendency to believe. Number one is God doesn't give you more than you can handle. I think God does give us more than we can handle so that we might depend on him. A second lie that is out there, daily prayer and Bible reading alone cures mental health. Well, there, if that's the case, there is no reason to have some individuals to walk alongside of us to help us to adjust and to cope and to call lies, lies. I think a third lie, or at least according to Sarah Lund, depression is a sin, a curse, or demon possession. Again, again, we see that um, depression and dark days are results of sin, but it's not sin itself. A fourth lie that we sometimes believe, if you love Jesus more, you will be happier. I know, you know, we know together a lot of people who love Jesus and they still struggle with depressive feelings. And so it's not about loving Jesus more, it's about inviting Jesus in to wherever we are. A fifth lie that uh, Ms. Lund talks about is you can't be a Christian if you have mental illness. Again, that's, that's, taking, that's, that's going way beyond what the Bible says of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is that you and I, uh, we, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again for our salvation. And if you and I place our full-weighted trust on him, that's what makes us a Christian, not whether you are battling depressive feelings or not. And yet these are lies that we have a tendency to believe that are, even, that are out there, especially among Christians. So here's what I want to try to do today. I want to try to give, uh, I'm going to give just kind of a, a kind of do a, a quick case study. And then I have two friends, an old friend and a new friend who will come to the platform and we'll have a discussion around mental health. So here's, here's the thought that I want to posit today. Every Christ follower can begin. It's always a beginning. This is not, uh, we, we don't um, fully, um, you know, we, can't expect the healing to happen like right away. It's the beginning of a journey. Can begin their journey toward mental health and well-being by learning from the case study of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, if, um, again, there are Bibles in the pew, the verses will be on the screen, uh, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19. So, so where do we begin our journey? There's a case study here of uh, a prophet of God who had depressive feelings, who had depression, who was dealing with mental health challenges. The, I'm talking about a prophet of God, someone who knew God and loved God, which lets me know that mental health challenges can hit anyone in this room. 
It can hit you, it can hit me, it can hit an elder, it can hit a deacon, it can hit a small group leader, it can hit someone who is just starting out in their walk with Jesus. And so mental health challenges is not just for individuals, a certain group of individuals. And so Elijah, he wins a battle, he beats the prophets of Baal, and he is on a high, and yet he finds himself in a dark place. Starting at verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time Tomorrow. So Jezebel, after Elijah has won a battle, Jezebel, with a word, a simple word, external pressures from the outside, comes to Elijah and says, I am going to kill you. Now, Jezebel was a mean woman. She was mean, and Elijah knew that. And, and, and again, here it is. Elijah experiences a high point where God does something amazing, and yet this woman says, I'm going to kill you, and your life is going to be done. And we see the prophet of God in verse 3. What, how does he respond? Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my forefathers. Here's the first Here's a first step in our journey toward mental well-being and mental health. Express our honest emotions. Express our honest emotions. Elijah expresses his deep, dark feelings about his life. He says, God, it's enough. I've had enough. Take my life. I don't want to live anymore. Over a little word from Jezebel. He has, he won a big battle and now he is running afraid from his life. He is overwhelmed by sadness and yet he acknowledges and accepts these feelings as a natural part of the human experience. That everybody in this room, you and I, have had depressive feelings. You and I have had sadness, and we've been overwhelmed by sadness. It is a part of the human experience. It's a part of our broken world, and it's okay to tell God. It's okay to say, I am really struggling right now. This is very difficult for me to handle right now. And Elijah does this. He says, I am sad. I have depressive feelings. This is a dark moment for me right now. I think sometimes we have sanitized Christianity where we cannot tell God our true feelings. The Psalms is is filled with David saying, God, kill my enemies. I can't stand them. I hate them. I don't want to live anymore And yet, he was a man after God's own heart. And it's okay for you and I to say, God, I'm really struggling right now. God's shoulders are broad enough to handle the weight of life that we experience. But I think we've been sold a bill of goods that somehow if you tell God or if you speak out loud something that you are struggling, that somehow you lack lack Christian maturity. Or that somehow your faith, something is wrong with your faith. I think it takes more faith to say, God, I'm struggling, than to keep it inside. So practice, so practice beginning expressing our true and genuine emotions. Here's a second thing that Elijah does in this case study that helps us to at least begin our journey. Practice self-care. Verses five, through, uh, verses 5 through 8, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. 
And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So one of the first things that go when we are experiencing our own emotional and mental health challenges is to throw everything that we used to do out the window. We don't care for ourselves. We used to, we used to run or we used to uh, involve ourselves in physical activity to keep ourselves healthy. We used to have a regular regiment of eating, and the moment that dark days come, the first thing to go, we just say, I don't want to eat anymore. I don't want to sleep anymore. I don't want to do anything And we kind of let ourselves go. But this gives us an example of Elijah practicing self-care, sleeping and eating, something as simple as sleeping and eating and drinking water. And the text says he went in the strength of that food. And sometimes we fail to, in our own strength, not because partly it's because of the mental health and emotional health challenges. Sometimes we're just, we're, we're tired, we're, we're, we're dehydrated, and so there's this sense where he's practicing self-care. In community, self-care in community is a part of taking care of ourselves. We are a living system, emotional and physical and mental and spiritual. We are a living system that, that it all goes together. Pete Scazzaro talks about how the emotional and the spiritual go together, and I would dare say the physical and the mental and the spiritual and emotional are intertwined. When we let one go, it actually impacts the, the next. It impacts our mood. And so practicing self-care is, is another key in this case study. But I think another key that, um, that from this story that shows up is challenge and replace unhealthy thinking or unhealthy thoughts. Look at verse number 10. He said, Uh, God asks him a question, what are you doing here in verse number nine? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it. Now, the interesting thing about this is Elijah was not by himself. There were other prophets who had not bowed down to Baal just yet yet. And Elijah, what, one of the things that ends up happening when we're dealing with our depressive feelings and emotions, it feels like we're the only ones. And what Satan wants more than anything to isolate us. And if he can isolate us, he can actually pick us off. This is the reason why community is so important. Living in community and serving in community and loving in community is so important because when you and I have a a community of people who love us, they can begin to remind us of who we are. They can begin to help us fight the unhealthy thoughts that come our way. So we challenge them and we replace them with truth. We replace them with what God says. And God ultimately says to Elijah, you're not the only one. I have a whole host of prophets who are still committed to me, devoted to me. You are not by yourself. And I want, if you don't hear anything else from me right now, I want you to know if you're dealing with your own emotional challenges, your own mental health challenges right now, I want you to know you are not by yourself. You are not alone. You are not the only one who deals with this. There are other people who know what you're dealing with. Before um, we planted a a church in Grand Rapids a number of years ago, my good friend Kazumbo Kalambula is here. You'll hear from him in a little bit. And um, we, uh, we went through assessments and on the, the heavy on the heels of losing my 
uh, my mentor, Michael Teague, in November, and then losing my father in February, four months apart, lost four, uh, two of the most important men in my life. And so we went through an assessment when we were getting ready to plant a church. And so the psychologist looked at my assessment and said, you are depressed. I said, listen, I ain't got time to be depressed. I got to plant a church. And so I want you to know that, that even the person who stands here and preaches the book deals with issues like this as well. You are not alone. So we have to challenge and replace unhealthy thoughts. But then there's, um, there's another, um, another lesson we can learn is believe that God is present. Look at verses 11 through 14. It says, um, and he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not uh, in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he goes and he repeats what he said before. So in this moment, we see in the midst of Elijah's depressive feelings, his own mental health challenges, God says, I'm with you. It wasn't a big earthquake. It wasn't the big wind like we had the other night. It was just simple a whisper that speaks peace. Sometimes we think that God is not with us, that God is not speaking. And we look for God in the big stuff. And I think God wants to share with us that it's in the whisper. It's even in the voice of a child reminding you, reminding us adults of who we are. It may be a simple text message, a low whisper. It might just simply be quiet in your car and you sense that God is present with you, a low whisper. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, you, you come up here, the prayer team lays hands on you, you fall out and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, if you come there from that, that, situ- that, that kind of tradition, I'm, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying sometimes we look for all the big stuff when God says, in your mental health challenges, your emotional health, emotionally, emotional health challenges, all we really need sometimes is just a whisper from God that he's with us. So believe that God is present. So here's the last one. Here's the last one that I, uh, last thing that we can learn from the case study, renew your purpose. Renew your purpose, 15 through 18 Uh, I love this, and the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall uh, anoint Haziel to be king over uh, Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint him to be king over uh, over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, um, that name, that very long name right there. You shall anoint the prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall, um, shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword, Jehu, shall uh, Elisha put to death. And yet I will leave 7,000 in all, uh, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what God does, God gives, he renews Elijah's assignment. Elijah had given up. And part of the reason he had given up because he thought his life was over. And the reality is that you and I have purpose. 
God designed you and I with purpose. He designed you and me with this sense of there's something more to waking up every day and going to sleep and waking up and going to sleep. That God has given all of us a purpose, and that purpose is is that we might tell the world that there is a king who loves them, that there's a king who has life for them, that there's a king who wants to give abundant life to every single human being, that you and I wake up every day. We should wake up every day. Who can I talk to to tell them that the God of the universe loves them. You and I have this this something inside of us that it's not just about us, but it really is about other people in our orbit, in our sphere of influence, that when we speak our words, it's a part of the purpose that God has given us. So that when you and I go to heaven and when other people you and I have talked to and shared the gospel with, we can see them from a distance and they'll look at you and look at me and say, thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for stopping to tell me about the love of God. Your life mattered to my life. I am living today because you had the courage to say something. You had the courage to live out your purpose. Elijah forgot that, and God reminded him. And now Elijah is not only going in the food that he ate, he is now going in a new purpose that God has given him. And he turns out to be one of the most amazing prophets that God had ever called. With depressive feelings, with mental health challenges, and yet God uses him mightily. And I would dare say that God desires to use you as well. All right, so that's the, that's the case study. I'm going to invite my friends up um, to the platform, uh, Mrs. Lakeisha Prince, um, MSW from Walden University, um, therapist, um, um, is a member, worship leader, and alongside her husband, Fick Ray Prince at Woodside Church, uh, Woodside Church, Woodside Church, uh, Detroit. They're leading that congregation, and um, and she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus, and she loves seeing people set free. And then my good friend of almost thirty years, I can't believe I just said that. Almost thirty years. Pastor Dr. Kazumbo Kalambula, we planted Tabernacle together, um, has a PhD counselor. Um, he teaches psychology at uh, Grace Christian College in Grand Rapids. Um, so many more things I could say about both of them, but most of all, he loves Jesus, and I am glad that they are with us today. Can you give them a Trinity welcome, please? All right, so, so again, this is a beginning of a conversation. Um, again, we, we, we can't solve everything in a message, but I think it begins to open the door for larger conversations, all right? So, so let, me, let, let me start off by uh, asking this. Why is it that, not only in the church, but other areas, why don't we talk about mental health and, and why... Why, why, do, why do we remain quiet on it? Thank you for, um, for having us here to have this conversation. Um, I think it's very important to talk about mental health issues in the church and basically to bring, bring it out of the darkness, you know, and into the light. The only way that we can get healing is if things are brought to the light. Yeah. Um, I think the enemy will allow us to like you said, isolate. Um, shame can be associated with mental health disorders, um, maybe even guilt, uh, secrecy. Um, the, all of these things all equal bondage, and the Lord wants us to have freedom. So even just having this conversation, it, it, it brings freedom. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm worried about you. Good morning, family. It is good to be here. And just following up on what my sister said, uh, fear is at the center or at the core of why we don't talk about mental health in a church or just mental health generally. There is uh, a conspiracy of secrecy that we live under because we don't want to be considered as the other. 
Mm. We don't want to be considered as different. Therefore, we hide. And by hiding, we suffer. That, that's, that's really good. So shame and guilt and fear, all of these rolled into one, keeps us quiet, um, whether, whether in uh, other spaces, but because we're in the church, particularly the church has just not um, talked about it. Um, I know being raised in my community, black community growing up, we just simply did not, we did not talk about it. We, everyone we didn't know it. You know, everyone has kind of a, an uncle that's, that we just, they were different. And we use the terms like, oh, that's old crazy Joe, or that's old crazy Mary. And we even then began using words that began to stigmatize individuals in, um, in, in community. And so um, how, you talked a little bit about addressing the stigma, uh, bringing it out into the light. Any other ways in which we can address the stigma of mental health challenges that, uh, that we face in the church? Yeah, I, I believe uh, what we have said is beginning to converse. Like here, admitting that we all are on a journey. And today you just told us we're at the beginning of the journey. So realizing that, accepting that, will be one way to begin to uh, demystify the stigma. Another way may also to be able to practice what we already know. Uh, because the scripture tells us that uh, when we are weak is when we are strong. Mm. Because we are afraid of being considered as not strong. Being weak. In the status of being weak, we feel that it's not compatible of who we want to be. Therefore... When someone is suffering, we associate that with weakness, mm. and we stigmatize that. Yeah. Um, I agree, and, and I just want to just echo sharing with each other what the struggles are. Um, for example, moms, oftentimes mothers go through postpartum depression and won't talk about it. And then new moms feel as if something's wrong with me because I'm having, you know, baby blues or something. That's what, you know, they tend to call it. But there's actually science behind it. You know, when you, when you have a baby, you have heightened uh, hormones. And then though, once you have that, once you deliver the child, the hormones drop drastically. And then add that to four-hour feedings and <laughs> sleepless nights, um, insomnia, things like that. It could get bad. But if you don't talk about it, even just to other moms, if you hide it or if you're ashamed of it, how can you get help? You know, it, you, have to, you have to bring it out of the darkness. Yeah. You have to talk about it in order to get help. I really appreciate that. I think you just helped a lot of new moms in the room um, and those who would be moms, those who are, who are pregnant, to be able to even think about that, to, to notice it when, it when it does happen. So, so let me, let, let's talk about the, the, there tends to be opposition between theology and psychology. They, they, tend, they don't have to be, but there tends to be this bumping of heads between the two, and, and, and they like, Psychologists say, I don't want to deal with theologians, and theologians say, you know, psychologists, they're of the world. How, how do they come together? How do they coalesce, and how do we navigate between, and how can both use the other to help bring freedom to those who might be struggling? What I want to say about that first is to realize who God is. Because if we have a proper understanding of who God is, he's the creator, he is a sustainer. He is a perfecter of what all of that that is. So knowing God, theology, is a very good place to start. Secondly, also having a good anthropology. Pastor Marvin didn't mention that particular science, but it is at the core of this. Knowing people, human beings, made in the image of God. So good theology, good anthropology could give us good psychology. How so? Knowing also there are people that know some about theology, some know a little bit about anthropology, 
but they choose to oppose God. And mainly, some of those are in the psychological sciences. Are philosophers? Uh, there is a popular saying, the death of God or God is dead. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, out of Germany, popularized this and we use it in our everyday language. So because of humanity, of human being opposing God, that seems to project this feeling of psychology and theology being opposite to one another. It should not be. Yeah. Yes, I, I, would, I would agree that we can incorporate um, biblical principles into um, therapy practice. Um, as a therapist, one strategy that I use is a strength-based approach. And what we would have our clients do is to identify strengths in your life that help you to get through hard times. Um, number one, I look to the hills where my help comes from. Amen. Our strength comes from the Lord. As a Christian therapist, I'm able to remind um, clients of that. Where the conflict lies is that if you don't have a Christian therapist or if you have a therapist that believes other things, they may tell you to um, trust your heart or lean into your feelings, um, follow these things, or to um, find your strength in your, um, in your surroundings but in, in people around you, but people will fail you. Um, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. So you have to be grounded. The other thing is um, cognitive behavioral therapy. When you talked about um, your thoughts, retraining your thoughts, the Bible calls it renewing, you know, renewing your mind. That, that is a, a practice that we use, but we can use scripture to remind us of who we are in Christ yeah. so that we can identify a lie and then speak the truth in love. Amen. So I think that's the importance of having a Christian therapist and the, so that you don't have to deal with that type of conflict. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, so um, when, we, when we talk about where a person might be, what, where, where do a person begin? I mean, we, we talk about pres you know, prescribing certain things, but before, even before the prescription, is there a step before? If someone is dealing with depressive feelings, dealing with mental health challenges, where, where should they begin? I, th I believe it begins with proper understanding of who you are, who the person is, and that is, in our practice, will be an assessment. Proper assessment thorough assessment will help the helper understand whom they have before them. Because depression may be caused by many, many things. In the case of Elijah we just talked about here is a feeling of uh, great accomplishment followed with a uh, feeling of fear. Now the mean woman you spoke of says, I will kill you. So that brings Elijah's emotions very low. It could be considered as a reactive depression. But there may be other individuals that may be faced with what my sister spoke of, chemical imbalance. A mom who just had given birth uh, had high hormones, now they are low. That is, could be caused by biological reasons. So a thorough assessment would be a good place to start and then to determine what kind of recommendations to give the individual. If I may just add one more thing. That assessment may mean, let's read scripture, let's confess if there is sin, realizing that God is faithful, he's a loving God, or it may mean visit your physician to understand what other issues may be going on with you. Assessment is a good place to start. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I believe that if you're struggling with mental health disorder, if you're struggling with a, an issue, that it's good like to have community, as you mentioned in your sermon. And I think just even the illustration that you gave and that you read in the Bible about when Elisha was at his worst, he cried out to God. The Lord could have just gave him bread and water and just had that appear. But instead, the Lord sent an angel um, to bring that bread and water, to minister to him, to encourage him, not one time, but twice. So sometimes it is necessary to have someone walk with you through the process and to take those baby steps with you to eat, to drink, to sleep, 
to do the next best thing, the next right thing. And in order to um, find that, I would recommend the first thing, look on the back of your insurance card. Find, um, ask them for a list of therapists in your area that take insurance, that take your insurance. And then you can also go to Psychology Today and find a Christian therapist that takes your insurance. You can have a man, you can have a woman, you can, it doesn't matter. You can search it out and you can get the help that you need. You do not have to suffer alone. Yeah, very good. So one more question. So how do we begin, obviously, with, um, with the Christian therapists through spiritual disciplines? Is there anything else that we can do as a community to build hope and resiliency? Because that's when there's a sense of hopelessness, that's a, a person says, I'm done, I'm giving up. Uh, resiliency is another, like I, I'm going to keep going even though I feel this way. Is there some things we can do as a community or as individuals to begin to build hope and resiliency in people who might be struggling? I think, Pastor Marvin, we have begun right here. This teaching and the conversation is a very good beginning. Then realizing that we need each other. We need the support of one another. We have spoken of secrecy, where we need to normalize the fact that we all struggle. And because we all struggle, we need one another. We also have the word of God, the scripture that tells us we are not alone. Many, many passages, in, I can go to Psalm 23. It, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And he places us in community with other people. So the social support we receive from community is a very good thing. And be able to assess and realize if a person next to us is really struggling, we should not keep that a secret. We should listen to them, value who they are, and then speak to other people in our community to seek help, such as you have mentioned, Lakisha, um, through the internet. Psychology Today is a good place. Um, I will speak to us as a Christian community. American Association of Christian Counselors has a slew of counselors, Bible-believing counselors, who speak of the nature of God and the nature of people and the struggle in which we are living in this world. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being generous with your time. Not just generous with your time, but generous with your skill. Thank you for uh, what you do every day in helping to um, set people free, to be sort of an angel, if you will, to walk alongside individuals asking the, the, the right questions and helping them to have uh, some modicum. Of, um, of freedom. And so, Trinity Church, can we thank you, thank them for thank you. their time? Thank you. So, the last thing we want to do right now is I'm going to bring uh, Sunil, one of our prayer volunteers. Uh, we want to pray for um, our students, um, uh, fifth uh, kindergarten through um, sixth grade, as well as middle, high school, and college-age kids, and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray for teachers. I know school is just getting going again, and we believe that God has, um, has something special for you this year, and we want to ask God's blessing and covering over you as you prepare to go deeper into the school year, and that God would um, use you in a mighty way. And so, Asunil. Thank you. So I want to read a verse before I pray. Um, this is from Isaiah 44.3. It says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And I want us to take this literally, so I'm going to read this again. Isaiah 44.3. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So church, um, I'm going to pray, and if you can join with me and bless our children. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you to ask you to pour your spirit upon our children as they begin the school year, O Lord. Send your ministering spirits. Mm. Send your angels, O Lord, to protect our schools. Our schools are not safe anymore. 
There's so much violence, so much fear, so much stress. Lord, we need you. We need you desperately in our schools, Lord. Establish a hedge of protection around our schools, Lord. Let your hand be upon our children, Lord. Protect them, Lord, from physical harm. Lord, even in the area of food and diet, give, us, give our children discernment to eat the right things and take care of their physical body. And in the area of emotional and mental health, Heavenly Father, encourage them. Let your spirit give them joy and confidence and courage and happiness and holiness. In abundance, O Lord, let your spirit flow. Heavenly Father, replace any dark thought mm. that they have with thoughts that come from your spirit. Yeah, okay. Any depression be gone in Jesus' name. Yes, God. Lord, we also pray for the spiritual growth of our children. Help us impress upon our hearts, our parents' hearts, to make that our number one priority for our children, the spiritual growth of our children. Help them to encounter faith in, in their homes, the church, and even in the schools alone them to grow in wisdom and knowledge and let your hand be continually upon them. Pour out your spirit above all. We ask this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. 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 So um, uh, I want to pray for um, the middle, high, and high school and college. And so if you're in a middle school, high school, or college, and if you are a teacher uh, in any one of those areas, I'm just going to simply ask you to stand, if you don't mind, if you don't mind. If you are in middle school, high school, college, and you are a um, teacher or an administrator in those areas, we're going to pray for you as well. I see you in the balcony as well as on the Floor, And I'm going to ask for those around them, if you don't mind, again, if you can stretch a hand out toward them in your area um, where they are right now. And um, if you are behind them, in front of them, just, just it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a spiritual moment that we say that, no, we're praying for our kids. And so if you can just raise your hands toward them in your area and this will be our closing prayer. And afterwards, uh, prayer team members, elders, deacons, if you can come down and pray for people who, are, uh, who might need it. So, Father, thank you for um, giving us gifts. Gifts of students who are in middle school, high school, and college. God, every day as Sunil prayed, they are under all kinds of pressure. Pressure to perform and pressure to get grades and pressure to be cool and pressure to have the right kinds of clothes, and God, we just simply ask that they would recognize that is too much weight for them to carry, that they don't have to be the coolest one, they don't have to be the smartest one, they don't have to give in to all of the pressures that are around them. God, there are students right now who are, uh, who are uh, anticipating sleepless nights because they are worried about all the things that are coming their way. There are some who will not eat um, like they should because of images on Instagram and uh, TikTok and others. And we just simply ask that in the name of Jesus, we, re we would reject what Satan is trying to give our kids. And so I pray your covering over them. I pray your protection over them. I pray they would love you with their minds and their hearts and their soul and their strength. And we pray that the lies that the enemy gives, that they would reject them by your word and by the power of your spirit. We pray you would keep them physically healthy, emotionally healthy, spiritually and mentally healthy. We pray that those who um, don't know your son, even in this room, that they would come to know Jesus and begin to grow in him. 
God, you have given us charge over these young people in our midst. You have made us stewards and managers. Whether we are biological parents or not, they are all our responsibility in this church. And we pray that you would help us take our management, our stewardship of them seriously that we would invest and make deposits and love and mentor, and even in the midst of their struggles, we would be available to talk with them and listen to them. And I pray they would also be courageous enough to share their struggles with their parents first and maybe other mentors in this church. So God, thank you for these children, and we pray your blessing upon teachers. God, they are under so much pressure. Administrators are under so much pressure, pressure that we know nothing of, and we ask that you would meet them in the midnight hour, that you would meet them in the classrooms. That when they feel like giving up, that you would sit with them in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the pain. And I pray that you would hold them and rock them and let them know that they are not alone. That the God of heaven is walking with them. The God of heaven is strengthening them. That the God of heaven is giving them wisdom and strength and courage. So we ask, God, that you would minister to the teachers, that their voices would be powerful. Their voices would be influential. And I'm not talking about Instagram influential. I'm not talking about TikTok influential. But I'm talking about kingdom influential. That your spirit would show up as they teach. Your spirit would show up as they hug these kids and love these kids and remind these kids that they're not alone. I pray for for professors in this room that you would bless them and keep them, show up with them. Thank you, God, for blessing this church with all kinds of influencers in this community. And I pray they would be influencers for your kingdom. So now bless us and keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Turn your face toward us, O God, and give us your peace. A quiet whisper, the middle of the night. A quiet whisper in the midst of the storm. A quiet whisper in the midst of all we're going through. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said together, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Prayer team members, elders, if you can come down and pray for people who, are, uh, who come down front.